0: It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jidlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back,
1: Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron
0: Jadlowski. And I am your other co-host, hope, can't talk today. Your other co-host, Laura Warren-Hughes, glad to be here and uh, thank you for your patience as we're just a little bit later on getting this out than what we had planned.
1: Yeah, I think the listeners got to remember here is that, you know, we're committed every two weeks or as I like to look at it twice a month. Um, so, you know, following with that same commitment that we're trying to establish there and remember we're people too, and we've got stuff going on and Laura, we've been busy. When you say that over the last couple of weeks,
0: I would say that busy and just lots of things going on, just like our listeners have.
1: Yeah. But wouldn't you say Laura, that we're
0: always busy? We are. Yeah. I mean, I think there are times of years again, like most people hit where, you know, things are a little bit easier. Um, yeah. you know, maybe you don't have quite so much going on, but yeah, it's, it's been busy. And then, you know, it seems like weather is always a factor in things. I don't know how it's been in Wisconsin, but we have definitely hit the dog days of summer here in the Midwest. Um, it was 115 real feel today.
1: It is. I'm getting my wat. I'm getting my uh, iPhone out and I'm looking at it. It's currently 96 degrees, but real feel it's 106.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it is not good for man or beast here.
1: Yeah, I will say my girls have been holding fairly steady. I've been very surprised, actually.
0: Um, You know, I was worried because we were at our state fair last week. I know we're going to get into this a little bit more. But it was, you know, just this hot uh, on, of course, the two days of the open show at our state fair. And I thought, oh, great, here we go. But man, they they ate so much hay that I was short on hay, which I hate being. And uh, thanks to my brother-in-law for grabbing a hay bag and putting some hay in the back of his car and bringing it to me. How Um,
1: dare you dirty Stanton's car.
0: (laughs) Hey, no, no, no. We had a hay bag and he was fine with it. So, um, (laughs) but still they were eating like crazy and milking really well. So that's always fun. You know, when, when you see, despite the weather that they're doing what dairy goats are supposed to do. So.
1: I think sometimes goats even perform better in the heat not maybe for like a week long time period, but it increases water consumption. And with that water consumption, obviously
0: becomes more milk as well. True. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I don't know about your does, but I really love seeing it after I'm done milking in the evening. I don't see them out much in the daytime, but boy, as soon as you turn them loose out of the milk parlor, they're heading out to the hay bunk and uh, you know, really chowing down on that hay in the, little bit cooler part of the evening. So I like seeing that.
1: Yeah. I, they had right to the hay bunk normally because I, that's when I put out hay is in between my groups of what I'm milking. So, um, that's, that's, they generally take a V line right from the milk stand to the hay bunk.
0: Yeah. Makes you feel good. Makes you like, Oh, good, good girls. So yeah,
1: I just wish I didn't go outside today and they all were just like puffed over panting. Like they were going to die.
0: Yes. I, my old girls were in the barn in front of the fan and uh you know i went out and checked on a midday and gave gave everybody some fresh water and stuff and um i looked this afternoon and the livestock dog decided that it was her turn in front of the fan so she had kicked the old ladies away from the fan and she was laying in front of it and the old ladies were doing the panting thing so that they they really weren't that hot i think they were just not happy. <laughs> so
1: I I have a goat that's just really dramatic, little little baby chili. She is always dramatic.
0: Ah, she's wanting to take Cabo's place.
1: Well, she's Cabo's mom, so you see where Cabo gets it from.
0: Oh yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> Poor, <laughs> <joke>. <laughs> Poor
0: thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, but um yeah, it's just it's it's been hot and weird. But I will tell you that we have overhead fans in our barn, but right where the goats hit the fan, the like they feel it there, they all just congregate there, which I don't know if that creates more heat or less heat, but you know what it does, Laura? It's a big old pile of poop.
0: It does, but doesn't it make you happy that you have those overhead fans? I mean. Oh,
1: yeah. They're, they're ridiculously nice. They're so, so thankful for that. My wife bought those even before the barn construction was even started, actually.
0: I think that's just wonderful. That's on my someday list. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, we can make someday tomorrow if I drive on down there and and I'll hang them. Me and Doug will hang them for you.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I was watching something on the news or on television the other day and they have these, I forget what they called them, but (laughs) instead of having to like go to all the work of putting a fan in, you just screw it into your light bulb socket. Yeah. And it's an actual fan with a light. And I thought, I could put that down in my bar. And then I thought, oh, no, I can't. Because some of my lights are on the side, like on the walls instead of on the ceiling. So I don't know if that would work or not. But it was kind of a a fun, brief idea for a minute anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Laura, you were at the Missouri State Fair. What? exciting news do you have to share the listeners with? I'm going to brag on you a little
0: bit. I know you're not going to talk about it, but you got a big award. Well, we did. We we did really well. And, you know, I'm not going to go into particulars because, honestly, that's not what this podcast is about or for. What I do want to say is this. The State Fair is, hands down, my daughters and I always agree, the State Fair is our very favorite show of the year. We always look forward to it once the middle of July comes, we're like, Oh my gosh, only four weeks until the state fair. I mean, we get really excited about going and part of it is because we get to just hang out with our goat friends and, and see people that we don't get to see a whole lot in, in a whole weekend. You know, you'll see them at goat shows, but you don't get to just sit and talk. And and this year we were excited because we finally got our display all done the way we wanted. And, um, our display was complete with like a backdrop. So my PVC backdrop thing that I made worked out just perfectly. And, uh, we had maple leaf lights that we hung up across the top of our pins that looked really pretty. And, um, just, I know it sounds hokey and my husband was kind of like, Oh my goodness, you're really going out, but it's something that we've wanted to do for a long time. So it was fun to do that, you know? And, um, we had a wine and cheese party that everybody brought their own homemade goat cheese and a bottle of something to share. And we did that Saturday night and it was a huge hit. We had the whole barn over eating cheese and just fellowship and just fun. And you know it will be a state fair that we will always remember. We did well. Um, we, we didn't get the Missouri state herd this year. That's still in our bucket list, but um we did really well with um uh, we we pulled a best in show with our senior doe and that was that was just that was just really exciting um she's my heart goat so you know that's always kind of fun so it was it was just a great state fair despite the fact that it was really 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 hot
1: Laura that's not the award i'm talking about
0: though oh
1: what a word are you talking about? There's this picture of you. And I, didn't even, I haven't even asked you this yet. There's this picture of you in like a group of very important people with your whole family
0: there. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll explain that a little bit because maybe some of our listeners saw that too. Every year, each of the species at the Missouri State Fair dedicates their show to a family that they feel like has been influential in that species. So, um, people nominate you for it. And then they dedicate the show to that family. And then on the last day of the show, they have like the state fair, um, the state fair, uh, superintendent and all of the fair commissioners and, um, the, uh, state secretary of agriculture and the queen, and they all come over and make a presentation. So this year, um, My family got selected to be the the dedicated farm family or whatever for the dairy goat, so it was very cool. The best thing about it was it really wasn't just it was our whole it was our whole family, and so that was that was very special to get to stand there with my girls. So that was that was pretty neat. It wasn't anything really that we did. It was just it was just a very nice just a nice thing. So
1: we're we're talking to a bigwig here today hobnobbing (laughs) with the with the
0: politicians. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. That and that and twelve dollars will get me a really nice bale of alfalfa, so <laughs> Well, I'm glad you had a good Missouri State Fair. Yeah, it was. And so, you know, we came home, the girls were tired, ty- you know, <laughs> girls two legged and four legged. Everybody was pretty tired. Um, it was so hot that they released they released all of the exhibitors like as soon as you were done showing you could leave instead of holding everybody until until the end, like they usually do, um, which was great for the people that didn't have to stay. But, you know, if you had an animal that had to be in Best in Show, of course, you had to stay. Um, so we got done and um, they, they also said that if you were concerned about trailering animals home, that you could wait and leave in the middle of the night or you could leave the next morning. So we um, had the animals pretty comfortable. We went ahead and stayed over um, that night and then left about 3.30 in the morning and came home when it was a lot cooler. So I think that was a wise decision and, and made it home. So what's it like the fair with no one there? Is it creepy? It's really creepy. Yes. Um, you know, to be, to be in the barn where there's nobody else there and the goats were kind of like looking around, like, uh, what's going on. And, um, um, my uh, middle daughter was one of the superintendents at the state fair. Um, she did all the entries for the open show. So she actually had an air conditioned room there in the barn that she stayed at. So we got to sleep in there with her, but I'll tell you, I was like nervous all night. Cause I was always worried about somebody, you know, letting the goats out or uh, bothering with them, but they, they were just fine. I got up and checked on them multiple times. Um, you know, but yeah, creepy, creepy is a good way to put it because you don't realize how much you rely on that fair noise to kind of make you feel normal, and it was dead silent. None of the rides were running. It, it was just weird. Hmm.
1: That is a, a, a the Missouri State Fairgrounds to me is already creepy enough. So
0: is it really? See, I love it, but you know, it's what you get used to. So yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely there.
0: Yeah. So what's new with you? Well, we got back from our Wisconsin State Fair,
1: um, and again had really just like you had some really good success as well there. Um, very, very good.
0: What? Wait a can, can I just brag on you just a little bit?: Yeah, sure. How many best in shows at different state fairs is this for Maple mm-hmm. now?
1: Uh, this is her second, so she was best in show at the Indiana State Fair, and she's best in show at the Wisconsin
0: State Fair. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't just Maple. It was everybody. All my goats, all my, me and my wife's goats, excuse me, looked really well and performed really well and stood where they should have, or where I thought they should have at least. And um, they they just, you know, you, you work really, really hard to get it to your goats to just perform in that five-minute class there. And it's so rewarding and almost like a like a drug to me and maybe I just think different here to see them get to the level that they need to be in the class and not whether it's just a junior doe or a senior doe um, because we do know that those junior does do have to quote perform as well right yeah for so, sure so it was really really awesome and um, yeah we're uh gonna we get emotional here uh, is it, a goal of ours. It was a really big goal of ours to to win the the traveling trophy for the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, you know, it was something that my wife and I had talked about. Um, you know we talked about it with my dad. like it was my dad's tro- like goal the first year that was the first goal we set. when we started attending the Wisconsin State Fair and to have it after him. um it, it's really, really special. and it's almost surreal. Like we have the trophy sitting on a coffee table. And I just look at it sometimes and I look at all of the goats that were on there and the winners. And I think what's the story behind them? You know, did they, what what things did those people do to get those animals ready to get them to perform as well there? You know, just thinking about that and thinking, wow, we have a piece of history just sitting on our coffee table and man, I really hope we don't break it and bring any more damage to the trophy than it already is.
0: Okay. So, so Kind of describe this to me. This trophy goes home with the best in, sh- best in your doe show every year, yes. right?
1: Yes. And then, it, and is then, it,
0: okay. and then it, it has a plaque on it that has the animal's name on it and who it. Yes, correct. That's like so cool. There's go- And how far back does it go, Cameron?
1: I think it goes to the early or the late 80s.
0: Wow. So you've got some animals on there that really have a lot of history.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, think about, you know, just in our, our weird Alpine world. I mean, think about all the Daniel
0: Considine Alpines that are on there. Wow. That's so cool. So cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It really, really is a lot of Tagenbergs, you know, and a lot of Alpines on that trophy. I, I haven't went back. I'd probably like to go back and maybe figure it out at some point, but it's such a living piece of history, uh, at least in wisconsin a wisconsin piece of history here um in our in our house and i'm like okay well we just got to make sure we don't break it yeah. <laughs> and it, wasn't really cool. and it wasn't cool for us like it it's always been there and it's something my wife and i always wanted to achieve and
0: to do it this year it, it's really special that is so cool so cool congratulations thank and you. Then you thank you and then you guys just got back from a smaller fair that you always go to right yeah so yeah we got back from the
1: February Fair in February, Illinois, and it's a show that I've been going to since I was a wee tight. I've even judged it a time or two um but going there, it's always fun this year there was two hundred and ninety goats, and awesome. um, the fair actually has the regular open show and then they have embedded youth classes as well there um so that's really, really nice and attracts a lot of people to to attend there so that's really cool um, about that show there. And it's just, we just have a really good time. We order pizza, which, um it's kind of our last hurrah for the year.
0: I love that. I love, I love traditions that pop up and things like that.
1: You know, and it's, it's awesome because you, you think, okay, you know, dairy goats at a lot of like small little county fairs, they get poo pooed, but we've got someone on the board that actually runs the show and she's like I bring in more livestock here than any other, any other division here in this, in this fair.
0: That you know, is we, so awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, okay, we deserve some extra, you know, extra funding, extra premium there. And they gave it to her. I mean, they had all, they had eight breeds sanctioned this year and they had premiums for all of them.
0: Wow. Very cool.
1: Yeah. So yes, it's, it's a really, really cool other, Um, and then other than that, I'm done buying hay for now. I think I have about 600 bales of hay in the barn. Um, I've transitioned back to two times a day, which is, is good. And then I'm working on drying some goats up.
0: So does it feel good when you walk out to the barn and you see that hay, you're like, ah, this is wonderful.
1: Yes. And for those of you that don't know, when I live with my father and I love my father to death, but he had a lot going on. We, we had a lot going on in general. Um, so we would go about every two weeks and go get hay and as much as I love that 35 minute drive to, to Kappa Illinois in order to get that hay I just felt like it wasn't always super sustainable so I vowed to myself to never try to put myself in that situation there where I have to go and get hay every two weeks and I get it I understand why he did it and he's gonna listen back and he's gonna call him himself out like that was great hey it was great hey but I, I just i didn't really like doing it because it was right. every two week occurrence so um i i vowed that i would never i would try to never put myself in that position and it feels so good to not put myself in that position now i'm not done buying hay, but I, i'm gonna we'll buy some more here my hey guy texts me um and he's just like hey you got room you got room i don't have room can you have room i'm like yeah so that'll happen after fourth cutting.
0: You know, I think we should do an episode sometime like Ode to the Hay Guy because it feels so good to have a Hay Guy.
1: I will tell you what I, it, it's goats. Goats are you win the show by the quality of your hay and your relationship with whatever forage provider you have is one of the most critical in order to be
0: successful in the show ring. I think so too. And that's, you know, the, the uh, we always, we meeting me and my daughters, we always try to like look back over a show season and what did we do really well this year? And what can we do better? You know, next year, what's an opportunity for improvement. And, uh, yeah, sometimes it's take more pictures. Sometimes it's, um, have a more standardized packing list. Some years it's have the animals in better condition. And we feel like that this year our goats have been in the best condition that they've ever been consistently through the whole show season. And I really credit that to the whole hay to our hay situation.
1: Yeah. I The hay makes the difference in my mind. I created a, show, a goat show packing list and it's, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. We've had one for a couple of years now and I would say, yes, it's very awesome. Um, you know, it's just like though, your grocery list, if you, th- <laughs> if you think you don't need it, that's when you need it the most, you know, and then, then you get somewhere and you're like, Oh, I didn't need that packing list. I know what's on it. And then you get somewhere and you've left something crucial at home, like a milk bucket or, you know,
1: I, I have an iPhone note and I just check it off and then I uncheck it off every show.
0: Smart idea. I should do that. Mine's laminated, but I um, I like the iPhone list idea better.
1: Good idea. Yeah. Cause it's all, it's always with, my dad's like, send me that share that with me is what he said. I said, no, I'm not going to share it with you because if I share it with you, then you're going to start checking it off and we're going to be going to the show together. And I'm not going to know which thing I've packed yet.
0: <laughs> we did that last year. We had a list like that when, um, we f- f- were milking 14 and wanted to make sure we weren't missing some, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes like the girls would be gone or I'd be milking when like Caroline was at school or whatever. And she'd look down at, at, you know, through the blink camera and realize who's been been milked already. And all of a sudden I'd see goats checked off the list. I'm like, Hey now. (laughs) So yes, when, when somebody, when you share a list like that, it definitely does make it so they can edit and check things off too. So (laughs) that's fun.
1: Yeah, it, it is there, but uh, you know, it's been, it's always busy here and even squeezed in a trip to go judge a little bit. And then we got a new goat as well. So got a new well, that's goat. fun.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Something, something different. So, but other than that, Laura, what's happening in Adga land?
0: You know, I think everybody by now probably has seen that we got our uh, results for the director the new directors that have been elected so congratulations to all of our new directors and a very hearty thank you to all the directors that maybe are going off the board and uh you know onward and upward let's keep let's keep making adga a better organization and keep moving forward
1: yeah absolutely don't forget as well folks make plans for tulsa oklahoma for the adga convention the yeah,
0: convention date. i was just gonna bring up. Um, you know, it's the middle of October, is what I remember. I think it's like October 16th is when it starts. So, I mean, um, look, I put it in my calendar. I don't know why. I generally don't go, but uh, I I
1: always like to put it in my calendar and put it as an option there for that.
0: Well, there are there are so many reasons why if you haven't been to a convention before, you should attend. Um, You know, whether you're a new person, just wanting to learn more about goats, this is your place to do it. If you have had goats for a long time and you want to learn new things or attend like the linear appraisal workshop, or um, if you want to become a judge or even just audit the judge's training so you can see what it would be like to be a judge, this is your place to do it. If you have youth that really want an opportunity to connect with other youth come you bring them to the convention i i wish that i had brought all of my daughters earlier because caroline is just like i'm so sad that after this year i'll be a you know won't be able to be part of the youth program anymore because she said i've had so much fun with that and and some of those people are just my very best friends so
1: yeah no, so I have that date here uh starts the fourteenth, which would be the used stuff that's the Saturday, and then goes all the way till the twentieth and concludes on that Friday the twentieth for uh the Atka spotlight sale which spotlight sale um
0: goats are out and announced. oh, yeah, do you want to say something about that?
1: no follow the group follow the Facebook page. you can see those animals.
0: There are some beautiful, beautiful animals in the spotlight sale. And as somebody who's bought two spotlight sale animals in the past, it is an awesome way to um, get some genetics offered to your herd that you might not have an opportunity to own otherwise. And it's just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I agree on, with you on that. Yeah.
0: So Cameron, what are we going to talk about this week? Cause I know this is a topic that is very near and dear to your heart and mine too. So
1: yeah, it is. And, you know, we, we were like, oh, let's find a guest. But I think this is something where Laura and I feel so strongly about this, that if you don't have this, you really can't take your breeding program forward. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I would agree. It, it reminds me of what my dad used to tell me when I was growing up. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail.
1: Correct. Correct. So we're talking about the breeding list. And I know we had an episode last year about the breeding list, and that was in May, but this is the
0: time to put pen to paper. Don't you agree, Laura? Yeah, very definitely. This is if you haven't gotten your list done yet, how I would hope that by now, so we're two thirds of the way through August. I would hope by now that you have at least a preliminary list, whether it's written down or it's just kind of solidifying in your mind, you need to have a list. Yeah. It's times a wasting for most people.
1: Yeah, it is. I've got to go cycling like crazy, and I think, girls, mm-mm, Satan is not coming here today.
0: <laughs> not ready for that yet.
1: Nope, not today, Satan. Not today. Um, but I think before you even get started, before you make that list, you have to take stock or inventory or whatever
0: or of what you have there. That's where I start. Don't you agree, Laura? I do because I think, you know, I think most of us have feel like that we've probably made our cuts down to what we were going to cut. You know, we've sold the kids that we were going to sell, but I know that for me this time of year, this is where I spend some of that time standing outside watching, you know, did that kid develop the way that I thought she was going to, did that dry yearling, did, did she go through the ickies and now she's the beautiful doe that I thought she was going to be, or. Ew! Is she still icky? And now her feet are bad. And why did I hang on to her this long? You know, I think I think it's always a good time, but especially before you start breeding animals, um, to to really decide: Does this animal fit my breeding program? Is this animal going to get me to the goals that I want them to? Because if not, why do you want to breed them? Keep those genetics in your herd, and you know, feed them through another winter. Would you agree with that, Cameron?
1: Yeah, and I remember, oh, I don't know how long it was ago, I talked about exit ramps for goats. You think about a highway and you have those exit ramps there. September 1st generally is another exit ramp there as well. And thinking about, do I want to take that goat into a breeding season or not? People are always looking for goats to buy this time of year in order to breed to their book, or maybe they want to roll the dice and feel lucky and buy a bread dough as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I, I like that exit ramp idea.
1: Yeah. So I think it's important to take stock of your does remind yourself how many goats you actually want to freshen because if you keep them there you generally have to keep you generally have to know how many you're going to be freshening there unless you don't count like the township doesn't at my place but uh, someday the township's going to listen to this podcast and and hear what I say. Um, (laughs)
0: Let's
1: hope not. Yeah let's hope not. Um, But remember that there so Figure out what your number is of does you want to breed and you want to kid out as well, because that number does fluctuate. And then remember that goats, when they do kid out, they do multiply and remember how much sanity you want to have as well.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I, I know that there are some times where I'll have a doe that I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, sure. This is, you know, she's here. She's in my herd. I'm going to breed her. And then you yeah. get to thinking what plan do I have for these kids out of this breeding? Is this a breeding that I really want to make? So anyway, just kind of have to look at them. I also think though, you also need to look at your bucks too. Um, You know, are you, are you making the decision to breed to such and such buck just because you've kept him all summer long and you feel like that you're obligated to use him?
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, that's never a good thing. And I will tell you a lot of people are looking for bucks right now because They realize, oh, crap, I have to breed my goats or, you know, an accident happened. and I lost my herd sire or X, Y, Z, whatever reason happened there. Um, You know, so taking inventory of your bucks is really, really important as well. And, hey, if you're like, for example, I was just doing my breeding list today. I was looking at my breeding list today and I was like, okay, I've got this buck and he's only doing one, two, three. He's, he's doing four goats. Okay. Well, if he's doing only four goats, is there a way do do I need to keep him? If I'm breeding 40 and he's breeding four, can I use other bucks and reduce a mouth to feed? Or can I, for lack of a better terms, lease him out to someone else and and maybe they
0: can use him to prove him out. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's always an option that often gets overlooked.
1: I agree. I, I agree. It really does there on that. So, um, you know, if you've got a buck that you're maybe using on two goats, one goat, three goats, by golly, if you're keeping a buck for just one goat, you either have a really, really, really small form or that breeding must be really, really special.
0: And if it's that special, make the breeding and then move the buck on to let somebody else use him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People are all, people will always buy in breeding season.
0: Yeah, always. Do you, as a little uh, side trip here, Cameron, Do you ever keep young bucks just for those people who for whatever reason, find themselves looking for a buck at the end of the year? Have you ever tried that?
1: We, I mean, we have, and someone always calls it. It goes without fail. It goes without fail that somebody calls. And then we ended up moving them generally before October ish there. Um, But we at my place have not, my dad's place has, we simply don't have the room and honestly, I'd rather put a rubber band around them and not have to deal with them than continue to feed them.
0: Yep, I would agree with that too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one thing as well is take take uh, inventory of your frozen assets. What do you have that you can use as well there that can maybe propel your herd forward? That That's a really big thing as well.
0: I would agree on that too. And it can also be a dangerous thing too. Oh, Laura, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave that alone for right now.
1: Look, Laura's all about the also,
0: dangers.
1: What'd you say? You're all about the dangers, but one thing I think is dangerous <laughs> is the amount of semen you have in your tank.
0: It is. No, nope, it's it's getting taken care of. I'm working on it. Ooh, I
1: can't, I can't wait. wait.
0: Oh, it's it's a real difficult thing to do. It's called pull the trash can next to the tank. And start dumping. So that'll I be just, fun. I just threw them on my garage floor. On your garage floor. <laughs> I guess I could do that. It's hot in the garage right now.
1: <laughs> but we, saved, we saved the goblets though. That's that the in
0: the canes as well. True, 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 true. That's a good point. And I should do that. So, um, you know, I think in addition to looking at your semen um, inventory, it's also important to look at what kind of hard factual data do you have? Behind the breedings that you're going to make, you know, um, linear appraisal scores are always helpful, not only on the does that you have, but then also on what bucks you're going to use. If you can look at their daughter's data, that really helps you make just the perfect breedings.
1: Yeah, I agree on that. One thing we've done is we've really, really dug into that LA. We're looking at our structural scores. Um, And really saying, hey, you know, what do we have to improve upon as well there? Dug into a little bit of the mammary system scores as well there with the numbers there. Um, But not necessarily one thing that we're like super striving for is is looking at all the numbers and breeding that maybe that 40-40 udder or or all sorts of stuff there. And that we're not really aiming for that at this point. If it comes along the way, that's great but we're really looking at numbers as well in order to drive traits that we want to improve in. one thing specifically uh, kind of jumps out at me is teat placement. Like we're really looking at that number there.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that you can make a lot of um, structural improvements when you do things like that, especially when you can identify a buck that is just outstanding in that area. And I, I know that in my little herd and you know, most definitely I've, I'm not a national show winner or anything like that but I have made a lot of improvement in in rumps because that's something that I identified very quick very early in my breeding program that wow I need to work on rump structure and that's something that I'm really proud of when I look across my herd is rump structure so I think that as you move forward in your breeding program being able to identify those those traits across the board helps you to pick out sires that really can move you along that path that you want to go.
1: Yeah. One thing as well is looking at your DHIR data as well there. Not necessarily something that that we have done in the past, but something we're more looking at as well there. Um especially I look at that as a time to breed goats. Like where can we breed goats? And I think we're gonna have a follow up episode of this we're talking about breeding season a little later on, but I'm using that actually data-driven decision order to decide when I should be breeding my goats because Uh I may be pushing for a
0: milk star. I see. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and yes, I think we're going to, I think we're going to play with this topic of um, production breeding down the road too, with a guest that we have in our pocket, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. We've got, we've got lots of guests in the pocket. We just got to get them out.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, (laughs) So let's, let's move on to, um, talking about really deep diving into, um, goals with your breeding list. So, um, what are you looking for? Like as you create each breeding, because I think all of us probably make a list of our animals and we kind of know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then where do you go with that after that?
1: Well, I, I like to think, how do I take the path of least resistance, which is generally a buck uh, sitting on my farm? Because one thing that I have to remember in my life is that um, we necessarily have time constraints. And if you as a breeder have time constraints or you have children that do fall activities, fall sports, um, you know, maybe they're just – they have every single weekend committed to something there. Um you know, that's one thing that's, that's really easy there. And taking the path of least resistance is often easy and it can also yield some of the best results.
0: Well, and especially, uh, you know, when you think about proving out that herd sire, the more daughters you can breed to a buck, the more you're going to see what he's able to do. So whether you have a herd of 14 does, like I do to breed to a buck, or you have 40 does maximizing the number of animals you breed to one buck really does help you see what he can do. And I would argue that it also helps you to set a type in your herd.
1: Mm -hmm. I I agree there. So the question becomes is, do you breed breed the buck to the farm or do you curate each breeding?
0: Yeah, I think there's good arguments for both both options. Let's hear them.
1: I'm I'm curious, Laura, let's discuss this. I want to dive into this a little bit.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm really biased. Okay. I feel like, and again, having a small herd, I feel like that, that the years that I have bred, let's say all but one of the does in my herd to a specific buck, I have made the most genetic improvements in my herd. Gotcha. Because then the next year I can come back with something else on those daughters and I have more of a consistent type to work with. If that's making sense.
1: that And that makes sense to me. That does. That makes sense to me. Uh, and I, and I get where you're coming from on that. Cause we're kind of in that same process right now where we used a buck and he was, he, he's done some really good things for us. And granted, we've only got two breeding seasons out of him. right. As of right now, we're, we're hoping for a third and, and a fourth. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to a fifth, Um, but, but when we're doing that, we we're now going back and we're almost curating the breeding after that.
0: So explain that a little bit, explain that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of consistencies of type, but we're also seeing individual flaws that another one might not have. Let's take, for example, I have three yearling milkers. I have four yearling milkers. Uh, Let's just say for the ease, for this example, three yearling milkers. All of them are very consistent in terms of their height of rear rudder. Their rump structures are incredibly consistent with their width and length. They have very strong feet and legs. They are nice and level top lines as well there. However, each individual goat, and that's the type that we want to see, however, each individual goat has problems there. The first goat, Goat A, for example, has a dairy strength problem. Not She's a little, she's a little chunky. Also on that. She could be just a little sharper and cleaner throughout because of that chunkiness there. And I wish she had a little bit better teeth delineation. So knowing all those, we're going to breed a buck that has a high dairy strength score on an AI. And then we're also going to be using a buck as well. That has good traits with the teats in order to create that delineation that's needed. So that's, that's go A. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Goat B for example, here, her biggest problem specifically here is she doesn't milk a lot. She's working on an aborted lactation, but also she's got uh, uh, some problems with that production um, that we're seeing there. The production should be there with a normal lactation. However, I uh, really want to get that udder bigger on, on the goat specifically there of Matt. So we're breeding her mostly to an udder buck there. Not necessarily a problems with the overall structure of the udder, but just problems with the overall size and making it a lot more proportional with the goat. So that's what we're doing with goat too. Goat three, what we are doing here with her is we see problems with the overall uh, length of body about her here today. That's kind of her biggest problem that jumps out at us that we want to improve upon. Additionally, I really want more width of that rump as well here, so we're going to find a buck specifically, and it just turns out this is a live breeding, not an AI breeding, um, that we're doing on that as well there. So we're going live breeding, and actually, I think the plan is to take it to an uh, one of our neighbor's farms, but um, that's, that's TBD at this point. But that's kind of our example of like, hey— we're setting type with this consistent type here with these three, and then we're going to go back and we're going to curate either through AI, maybe we're going to borrow a buck from somebody, or we're going to bring a buck in.
0: Yes, but see, that's, so what you're mentioning here, that is what I absolutely, dearly love to do, because then after you do those curated breedings, then you could come back and hit them all with the same buck again, if okay. you wanted
1: to. Okay, let's talk about this then. Let's, let's talk okay. about this. How do you get that cross? Because what you're doing then after that is you might have a whole bunch of different problems you need to fix. Does that make sense?
0: Right. Yes. But I guess what I'm thinking of is, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, like when you're refinishing furniture. And so you might need to use that really rough gridded sandpaper to make a lot of, improvements and then you bring in some finer sandpaper to fix some things and then you may realize that oops in fixing that I accidentally knocked off a corner on this on this edge of the of the um, leg so I need to bring that rougher paper back out and rework that Do you see what I'm saying you're you're kind of weaving it in and out adding a little more here taking off some there but always trying to bring it back to the collective group where they're pretty much a similar type. You may still have some small variations of things that you want to fix, but as soon as you can try to bring them all back to that same table again. Does that have I mixed metaphors too much? (laughs) No, 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 No,
1: It makes perfect sense to me there. So we do that if we're going to breed the buck to a farm there. Now let's step back a little bit here and look at curating what specifically that does for a farm. Does that make sense, Laura? Sure, yeah. So when you curate, and this is my opinion here, and you try to breed each individual goat to a little bit different, each one of those kids from that generation has a completely set of different problems. Does that make? Do you see that, Laura? Yes, very much so. And so that makes it really hard then for the next generation in order to figure out, hey, what what might happen there? And then you're having to go get more bucks to curate from on that. And you're borrowing, you're, you're pleading, you're begging, you're getting semen from XYZ breeder in order to fix it all. And then you become a semen hoarder and your tank gets full and you end up like Laura Warren Hughes.
0: Hey, now. <laughs> <I'm>
1: talking <laughs> about the tank, tank hoarder.
0: I see I see what you mean though. And and I think that is I think that's a little bit of a danger in AI or breeding to a whole bunch of different bucks is that it is so hard to keep that type. And and I'm not saying to do this and I'm not saying I've done this. But maybe that's where you have to sit back and look at your herd numbers and get rid of those outliers, you know, move those outliers down the road. That doesn't mean that they're bad animals and it doesn't mean they're not going to be amazing and successful and beautiful in somebody else's herd. But maybe it does mean that because they're that type turned out so different from the majority of what you have that you can't use it. Or breed that back to something along the other lines, keep a buck out of it, and then move that doe down the road. Because that's another way you can, you can bring in a different type. But still try to go back to what has worked for you or what is your preferred type,
1: I think. So, Laura, I want to throw a curveball here. Sure. This isn't even in the outline. So we're just, yeah. we're just doing this. Okay. Same. Imagine you're using embryo transfer or IVF or some type of flush program. And you are able then to set type from a dam line instead of a buck line. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, that's how I always breed. I don't set type on a on a buck line at all. I never have, sorry. (laughs) That's just, it's, and, and if you look at my, if you look at my breeding program and you look at my animals, it is all damn line breeding.
1: And see, that's where I think it gets interesting because I think what you could do is you say you have six, you you have phenomenal flush and phenomenal implantation. You have six does born. Let's all hypothetical here and you have six does born and then you can then. Curate rate them based off of that. Does that sound, does that make sense?
0: Sure. It does. And, and then, I mean, think of the possibilities with something like that. So you have a phenomenal dam who, you know, is a proven dam. She has three permanent champion daughters out of three different bucks and they all have some consistencies, but they all have some differences. So then you can flush that, that super dam that you have to different bucks and, and weave, weave that damn line back in there with some different stuff that might bring those little things to fix the teat delineation or to fix the milk production or whatever. Think how that could work. You can still stay with a type that you love and that's been successful for you, but you're bringing in those different lines. I, I mean, that to me, that is like genetic improvement at its best with technology. I think that's so cool to think about that.
1: Yeah. So I I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's a very interesting discussion as well there. And um, yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about AIing there on your breeding list. And when you're putting the breeding list together, do you Laura plan for, uh, do you, how many AIs do you plan for a year?
0: (laughs) It depends on the year. Last year I only had one. Well, last year I tried three and only had one successful. Uh, some of that was my problem and some of that was semen problem this year. I, I'm, I'm just going to say I have eight listed that I'm going to attempt. Um, and I'm going to hope for four of them to take. Okay. So what is your plan, Cameron? Uh, we're,
1: I, I think currently on our breeding list, we have seven planned. Uh-huh. Um, but that's also not including the IVF, the two IVFs we're doing. And with those two yes yeah. we have thirteen recips um, between myself and my dad as well. I know because I counted out all the recips here yesterday, um, and they're all sitting up on my whiteboard, and I'm looking at them uh, name by name.
0: <laughs> that is exciting. Yes,
1: yeah, it is. So, so kind of two different things around that. But you know, when you've got thirteen recips and you've got seven AIs there on that, it's 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 really really exciting. But also at times. I feel like it may also be a little unrealistic. Does that make sense, Laura?
0: It does. And and so I'm going to let one of my own personal pet peeves come out. I think when, I think it's very easy when you look at AI to feel like a kid in a candy shop, you know, I'm going to use this bucket. I'm going to use this bucket. I'm going to use this buck. And then if you don't know what those bucks are going to do, or you don't have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do. I think it's very easy to, to blow your consistency out of the water. Agree or disagree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. You blow your consistency out of the water and all your kids look the same. And you're, you know, you're standing third out of five and all of the, the kid class, all of the best three kid classes it shows because you necessarily did not have a type going in.
0: Right. So I guess I would give the caveat, especially to our listeners that maybe are newer with dairy goats, be really careful in doing something like that. Just have have a mindful plan because it's very easy to all of a sudden not be able to to set a type consistent enough that you couldn't be able to bring in another buck. Who's going to do a lot of work for you, you know, Um, especially if you're using animals that aren't very line bred. I think it makes it hard to make a lot of change quickly.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree on that there. Uh, But, but one thing as well as I think you have to be realistic with all of your breedings as well there. And, you know, you plan for, You know, I look at this twenty goats doing using reproductive technologies as our plan this year. Now that's super great, but I know things are going to happen. A cedar's going to slip. A a um uh, a goat's not going to cycle appropriately, or you know, we have a bad flush, or. You know, we go to, we go to do a transcervical AI and, you know, it's just not, it's, we just can't find the, the cervix there. Things are going to happen. So I think it's always important to have a really, really, really good backup plan.
0: And I think for our listeners too, um, what Cameron's describing doing, he's, he's a little bit of a special situation there because, you know, he has a reproductive vet for a wife. Yeah. That's, yeah. Don't, I, I don't want our listeners to think that that's what most successful herds do is something to that degree because you know while there are a lot that do and there's more all the time reproductive technology is is booming you don't have to do that to be successful it can sure help so
1: no no, I, i agree on that and this is our first time using it we've done some lap ais but we've never done any any ivf We've never done, well, we do, we do AIs as well there. We've done that for years, but we've never used IVF before. It was our goal that we set for this year and and we're going to make it happen.
0: I think that is just so exciting. Those kids, it will be very difficult to get rid of any of those kids, Cameron.
1: Oh, I've got plans for those kids already.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. And, and I think too, for our listeners that maybe are new to using AI and that's, that's their reproductive technology goal for this year I will tell you, when you have those AI kids on the ground, be just as hard in looking at those kids as you do with any other kid. Just because they're AI doesn't mean that they're necessarily special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So getting, I want to get back to this realistic here. I think the one thing is, you know, you make this breeding list and it, you really try to shoot for the moon. Don't you agree, Laura?
0: Very much so. and And, you know it's a mindful thing. And, and most people I would say probably change their breeding list multiple times. Oh yeah. I know that I do. I know that you do. You said what version eight,
1: version eight, we're on version eight of the breeding list. We had our first version probably May 1st. Um, Yeah. So yeah. uh, Yeah. But I mean, it'll, it'll probably be on version 10 before we get, we get done with, with it. So, um, but nonetheless, still, still very, very, very exciting. Um, and it's something we're super passionate about, but I want to transition a little bit here between talking about AI, reproductive techs. We're talking about maybe just how your setup is and why it's really important to consider the setup when you, when you're thinking about the breeding list. Laura, does that make
0: sense? Oh, heavens. Yes. I think that's a huge thing. The physical setup of your barn, can have a huge impact on the success, and and I'm going to argue the expense of your breeding program. Um, this is definitely not a time that you want to have lax fences or lax pens, especially if you have more than one breed.
1: Especially if you have a buck that will scale the fence to get to his uh-huh. ladies.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: how do I know that? I I borrowed one from Laura one year.
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: I was just more concerned that he was going to kill himself.
0: Well, if he would have, it was his own dang fault. So
1: (laughs) yes, but really think about that as well with your breeding list and saying, okay, um, is it going to be an easy season or is it going to be a hard season? You know, if I catch, if I do chores normally at 6am and I have to leave my house at 715 every single morning, uh, am I going to have time to get three different bucks out if I have three goats in heat?
0: Yeah, right. Not even looking at AI.
1: Yeah. That's just regular. Or or are you going to set up a pen breeding system?
0: Yeah. Um, Do you pen breed? Do you usually, do you typically do that?
1: I do not. I, I, my wife has pen bred in the past. I don't, it it makes me very, very nervous. Very nervous. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, when you have a, when you have a public DNA exclusion, like we did again, just that's, that's all public record there. Um, it, it gets me very, very, very nervous. And sometimes I send some of these older girls DNA in and I just kind of hold my breath a little bit.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I, I get it. I get it. And you know, I think DNA is a great tool to have. It's like any other tool though. Sometimes the deeper you dig the, the more you're like, Oh, why did I even start this? But <laughs> um, you know, I think it's really important. you know who you're breeding who you're breeding to and whatever you have to do to achieve that is really important um i know that on my farm it is not unusual for us to have our show trailer pulled into the backyard and that becomes um the um the chamber of frustration for our bucks because if they won't stay in their pen they will for darn well stay in that trailer
1: so Laura, I, my trailer is another thing and I'm just going to flat out say it on the podcast because I think it's hilarious. Call it the sex dungeon.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
1: Poor uh, boys. Well, uh, you put them in there, you know, if you've got to go to, if you've got to go to work or if I've got to go visit a customer or if my wife is, you know, get going out of town and I'm not there and, and we, you know, have a goat in the heat and we don't have enough time to
0: breed them and it's a natural breeding. We'll throw them in there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that way, you know, the buck's not going to kill himself trying to get into the doe. You're not going to have an escapee that might be breeding somebody that you don't want him to. That makes all kinds of sense. Sure.
1: Oh, well, well, no, we put the doe in there too.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's what I mean. You put them in together. So he's not trying to reach her if you're, you know, didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it keeps everybody safe. Yes.
1: It keeps everyone right. safe there. Yes. So that's that's kind of like, and I think that's something to consider. If you live a busy life, if you have a busy lifestyle necessarily, or if you live off the premises
0: as well, there you don't live on the farm.
1: That's some things to consider.
0: Yeah, just just put put them there and let them have a nice uh, relaxing, haha, day a
1: little together. Romp, little, romp little romp around romp. in the yeah,
0: hay. That'll <laughs> work. Little romp in the hay. Um, <laughs> have you? have you um, ever just divided those up into pastures and put a buck out there and just like pasture bread? Yeah. My wife has. My wife okay. Has so, them. so that, that like as a, as pin breeding on a bigger scale, I guess is how I looked at that. So yeah,
1: that's a super big, it's got some value. I'll tell you that if your goats are dry and you know, you can put a marking harness on them or you can just watch for heat um, of the individual does there on that. The only thing I don't like about pen breeding or, you know, pasture breeding there is you never really know when they make a good date to mark.
0: Right. And if you're somebody who likes to induce those, um, that's how you can get into trouble doing that.
1: You're exactly correct. You have to remember that the decisions you make now do affect you in five months.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and on that note, It it really is a good idea to look ahead five months and make sure that it's not like the weekend of your brother's wedding or uh, something like that. Because, you know, we all know that our families make lots of sacrifices when it comes to our dairy goat projects, even if it's not their bag. But it sure doesn't make for good family relations if you're missing things because of, again, the decisions you made now five months prior to the big event. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with the listeners. I took a goat show five months after my wife is going to be um, putting all these IVF babies in, in um, these recibs. Is it the smartest thing in the world? Absolutely not. Uh, um, Am I going to have to find a Freddie Four H -er to come
0: help her? Yes, it is. So. Yeah. You know, just, just be mindful of, of the fact that decisions do have consequences for sure. Decisions do
1: absolutely have consequences there on that. And that's something you really, 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 really got to know. Yeah. One thing as well as when you think about kind of how you're set up there is, have you done the appropriate amount of research when as it pertains to your protocols on your farm? If you're doing time breeding, if you're bringing in goats into heat there, if you're doing anything extra besides a natural heat, do you have all of the research done on your correct timings for that? Also, have you worked with your local veterinarian to procure the correct amount of um, hormones or drugs, whatever you're using, in order to have the correct protocols? And do you know the appropriate dosage as well?
0: I think that is so important because, you know, frankf- frankly, just because it's on Facebook doesn't mean it's correct. And there are so many people that will tell you to use... Reproductive drugs wrongly, not just being a problem with the expense of it, but it can be a huge health detriment to your animal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll tell this story here, and you know, we were at a commercial dairy here in, in a couple of years ago in December, and he, uh, in order to get his fall fresheners to kid, you know, he uses a, a concoction, a cocktail, I'll call it that there, but with that cocktail comes all very large kidding size uh, kidding letters. so you know he might have three to five being born on on you know his first freshening, almost two year old those.
0: and that's really hard on him.
1: Yeah, so that's something to really consider as well there. But there might be other cases where you might want to use a cocktail in order to produce more of of a of a size of amount of goats as well there. But remember, there are consequences for that.
0: There are, and and I think too. You know, with with having that good relationship with your vet, not only are they going to help you get the protocols and the and the drugs that you need, and if your vet's not familiar with it, they can reach out to somebody who is. I mean, there's all kinds of resources that they can find for you, but um, that also gives them a heads up of what you're doing. So next spring, if you need a little bit of extra help, they're right there to help you with that too.
1: Yeah. That's that's really, really important there to think about is is you know, that relationship with a vet. If you're doing anything extra. If you're not doing anything extra, again, still important to have a relationship with a veterinarian.
0: Right. They just don't need to be in your back pocket as far as breeding season goes. But. Correct there Ooh. on that. Laura, let's talk about some special breedings. Let's. So, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the special breeding questions you've got to look at um, has to do with older does you know we're talking in our front in our farm we call them the geriatric does but you know probably eight years old and on up from that where you know they still have productive years of breeding in them but you also are mindful of the fact that you know she's getting up there in age and and quality of life and and you know her ability to reproduce and and gestate those kids in a healthy way. You need to start thinking about those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I, I agree there on that. I think one thing as well, when you think about older does or herd matriarchs and, you know, maybe you want to do more of that line breeding or, and less of that curation. Maybe when you do that, are you going to keep a butt kid out of that goat? You know, i think, thinking about, okay, is this older doe a goat that I want to emulate? Or is there another goat that I want to emulate in my herd? And that's a buck mama.
0: Right. And, and again, you know, just because she's old and just because she's been amazing, have you moved beyond those genetics in your herd? You know, are her genetics still relevant? Um, If so, that may be the perfect breeding to keep a buck out of, you know, a very special breeding for her. Um, If not so much, you know, you just got to consider what resources am I going to put into helping this doe have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery and moving on from there. So I know some breeders know up front that they're going to kid out a doe and then won't milk her at all. They'll just keep her dry after that. And and that can be an option too. So, um, you know, another option that I've heard breeders talk about is that as their does get older, they will milk them through and only only kid them every other year to try to help, um, reduce the wear and tear on that dough and, and help them to, um, have a long and healthier life. Have you ever done that Cameron?
1: No, never, never done the milk come through. We don't like, we, we I generally don't like milking in the winter. I don't know that that was going to change at, at this point in my life, at, at some point it might with given our, our careers and, and what we got going on outside of the goat operation. Um, but it, it definitely is an option. I've seen people milk them through as well, just to a younger dose, just to avoid that harsh pregnancy.
0: Right. And and they've done it very successfully. I mean, we've seen national show class winners that have been milked through like that.
1: Yeah. Randy Adamson, when he came on the podcast, talked about it.
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, and in, in some of those does, even if they're not show does, if they're production does, they've been milking for years and years and years and still have an amazing an amazing lactation. So I think that's something else that you can think about. You don't have to breed your goats. If you want to keep them milking through, you can do that.
1: Yeah. Just remember it gets cold in the Midwest in the winter.
0: (laughs) It does. So let's talk about yearlings or those first freshening two-year-olds. I think that there are a lot of different uh, breeding styles that people have tried with those does like, um, I had a friend who leased a Nigerian dwarf buck and bred all of her standard sized yearlings to a Nigerian dwarf for ease of kidding to see what that dough would look like. And she said that she could sell those kids for a lot of money when they went to a sale barn as mini alpines or mini La Mancha's. Okay.
1: That that's definitely an interesting take and definitely understands their market. I appreciate I really appreciate that. Yeah.
0: I do and i also think about but wait if your yearlings have should be your most genetically advanced animals in your herd are you losing a generation by automatically not keeping those offspring
1: no because it's more of a this is my opinion the answer mm-hmm. is no. the hypothetical question is no because it's a roll, it is literally a roll of the dice with a yearling to see if that genetic cross actually worked or not. True, because you could get a swing bag, you could get a national champion,
0: you could. They could even be littermates.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've seen some of them. Yeah. <laughs> One thing as well that a lot of some of the commercial guys have have went to. Um, and then even some other bigger breeders is, you know, they're taking their first fresheners and they're breeding them to a boar buck. They understand that their market necessarily, and if they get a buck kid, they're not really thinking about it too hard They're to taking that one to the sale barn there. Um, and they know what's going for meat. And they know they're going to get a better price.
0: Yeah, they grow faster. You know, you've got more weight. Yeah, definitely a better price at the sale barn. Not a bad idea there.
1: Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really great. And I think it's a different way to approach things as well there. I you know, breed into a Nigerian buck or breed into a boar buck. I think that's always really, really good. I know that I'm not going to do it um, because I know my market and I understand my market enough to know what, what I can get for the hypothetical cost of a doe kid from my herd. Um, but I think for other people that are in more uncertain markets or whether they're starting out. Um, they necessarily don't know what they're going to get necessarily for a a doe kid. And that, that could be an option.
0: And I also think too, um, you know, it, if I had a larger herd, I'd probably do that versus a little tiny herd that I have just because I, I really want to give those, my registered bucks as much opportunity to um, show me what they can do versus losing a whole year group of does to breed to him if that makes any sense
1: well and if you're like my dad last year I mean a lot of his kids are out of were out of first fresheners because he didn't have that many to show and he likes to show kids right yeah there you go so that's that's one thing as well there uh Laura, you had talked about going rogue
0: oh you mean like, not me personally. I don't want my daughters to listen to this and think I'm freaking out, but yes, you, you, know, yes. you can take your young does. And if you've ever had it in your head that maybe you might like to start a second breed, just breed them to a, a buck from another breed and start your own experimental line. I, you know, that could be a lot of fun.
1: It could, it it really, really could. Um, and it's something that my wife and I've actually talked about because we like showing recorded grades. They're kind of fun. They're kind of different, and if they contribute to the overall breeding program of the Toggenbergs, then you know they, they have a place in the herd. Does that make sense, Laura?
0: Oh, it definitely does. Because you know you can you can bring in some traits that you feel like that maybe that breed really could benefit from, and you are doing it with animals that you are already familiar with because they're your original breed. I think there is a lot of fun that could be have, had from going rogue. As you said.
1: Yeah, you know, we're 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 playing with ideas on how we can use eighty-eight percent Toggenberg bucks, you know, eighty-eight percent recorded grade bucks in order to grade up into Toggenberg's and then get new genetic lines from and infuse those specific traits that we want from those goats in the herd there. Now that all started when my wife bred one of her Toggenbergs to an unregistered buck from my dad. So fun facts there.
0: Well, and I think we're seeing more and more of that across the country. Don't you Cameron? Um, A lot more people are keeping experimental bucks and using those on does to bring in those traits that they really like. Not caring that that buck is, is carrying um, experimental papers.
1: Yeah, I I think it's important. And yes, there are ramifications of that, but I also think if more breeders would do that, uh, uh, you know, maybe use a buck from, from an outside herd and, and use it from a reported grade and then breed it to their best goat and keep a buck out of that type thing. They would see a lot of other improvement as well there. And I get it. It is a risk, but you're never going to you know, do something. If you don't do something different, you're never going to get ahead.
0: Now, Cameron, you're yeah? stepping on my toes just a little bit here. Oh,
1: oh no, Laura.
0: As a French Alpine breeder.
1: Oh Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm so focused on the Tagenberg Sorry. I
0: know And that, you know, that's, I'm, I'm just saying as a French Alpine breeder, I don't let myself think that way, mm. but that doesn't mean that I'm like an ostrich with my head in the sand and I don't see the benefits to it and see where it could, you know, be really exciting, especially with breeds that, you know, already have a very strong American, um, bent to them. So, you know, I can see that. I can see how it could work and I can see how it could be really beneficial. And I think, you know, we've seen, we've seen herds that really have done well doing that. Megan Okison has some beautiful does that she's bred up that way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just saw a reading list post the other day. Yeah. She's, she's just, she's just pretty amazing on how she, does that it's almost like I picture her sitting in front of a loom, like weaving a tapestry? It's pretty cool, yeah,
1: yeah it, it really is. There, on that, I just think it's, I think it's, I feel like we could do a lot more with an experimental program in terms of infusing in new traits, infusing in new milk production records, infusing even casein genetics
0: as well into those those different breeds. Yeah, nope, I, I think that's cool. Speaking of that, just on a ta- tangent, do you test your goats? Do you find out what their what their casein is?
1: Um, um, no, I have not. I kind of want to, but I kind of want to get into cheese making first in order to like justify, like, hey, this is why I do it. Not not because I'm personally curious as well. When we bought uh, a, a Tagenberg buck, he, they had tested him actually, and then my Alpine buck came tested as well there because it was a commercial guy and he was curious. So yeah.
0: Well, I tested two of my, I tested a two year old and I tested a yearling this year. So I think down the road as I start, you know, as I keep DNA testing with the goal to have a whole herd that's DNA tested, I think I'll go ahead and do that too. At the same time, it really isn't that much of an expense and it's kind of interesting. So,
1: you know, Laura, if you keep making cheese, like you did.
0: I know, man, I didn't realize cheese was so easy. You know, I've never, I, I had never tried making cheese. It was a cultured cheese and it was amazing. It was wonderful. It tasted amazing. So um, who knows? That's one of one of the joys of being unemployed right now is having time to do stuff like that. So, so
1: uh, Laura, I'm going to tell you that at Wisconsin State Fair, they give, they have boxes of these cheese that they don't give away to the public because they, they get so much of them and then they come and there are these individual wrap medallions. Um, and they're like, do you want a box? I come with a wheelbarrow in there. Do you want a box? Do you want a box? Do you want a box? Anybody want a box? So I take a box and I freeze a whole bunch of them, but then I set some of them out and I've been taking them and they've just been plain Chev, and I've just been infusing them with things, honey and corn and Cajun seasoning and all sorts of good stuff there. And I've been playing with it and I'm like, yeah, I should, I should start making my cheese.
0: Oh, yum. Yes. This sounds wonderful. Yeah.
1: It, it, I think goat cheese is truly a, a a blank canvas.
0: It is. And it and it's but you know, it's a blank canvas, but again just plain Chev is just it's just delightful. It really is delightful. It's so good.
1: <laughs> yes. Laura, what is your uh, I I'm wanna I'm end the podcast here with what is your biggest piece of advice as it pertains to creating your breeding list.
0: Be mindful. Have a reason for doing what you're doing. Don't just, don't just take the easy way out, you know, kind of understand what you're doing and, and know why you're doing it. Feel confident in what you're moving forward with.
1: Okay. I agree with you on that.
0: And what is yours, Cameron? Cameron?
1: If you're not getting excited about the breeding, why are you making the breeding?
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: That's that's my biggest thing. When I look at a goat, I, and it doesn't take me much to get excited if you couldn't tell listeners, or Laura for that matter. <laughs> um, but uh, if you don't get excited about the breeding, then why are you making it? Yeah. So that's that's the best piece of advice I can give you on creating the breeding list.
0: I think that's good advice.
1: So uh, Laura,
0: where can listeners find us? We are on Facebook under Goat Gab. Just look for Goat Gab. And, you know, tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you like. Tell us if you have a great idea that we need to look into. That's the best way to get hold of us. We're also, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Um, You can find us on Spotify, any place that has podcasts that uh, where you usually listen to them, find us there. If you love us, please give us a rating. If you don't love us, please let us know so we can do better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As always, listeners, have a great week and we'll catch you on the next one.
0: Thanks for joining us on Goat Gab.